This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Casazza here today to talk about West Virginia football, the Big 12, the NFL draft, how it is and is not all connected. Welcoming in Chris Anderson to, set, to shed some light on the subject here. Long live the street, Chris. 15 straight years, West Virginia has a player drafted into the NFL. The streak comes to an end this past week, which I don't know if we're numb to or not. So let's just stop and appreciate this for a second here. No player drafted first time since 2007, correct? Mm-hmm. That's a heck of a run, and there's so many players who get picked seven rounds, three days now, that you just think, yeah, you're going to get one. Didn't get one here. We probably suspected this was coming, and it doesn't really sting or even resonate too much because I think we all kind of assumed this was certainly on the table. But when it doesn't happen and you realize it's happened in succession for so long, it really is quite an achievement when you look at the amount of really good teams and, and quality seasons that filled those 15 years. It does make a lot of sense. And you look at these past three years, which have been more thin than robust. It also makes sense. But just take a second here and, and acknowledge a 15 year run of draft picks at West Virginia. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, there was a time there where I went back and this was a couple years ago. And West Virginia was one of only like a dozen teams that had an active streak that was uh, where West Virginia was at, which I think was 12 or 13 at the time. And I'm looking at some numbers right now trying to figure that out. I mean, it's 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 still up there. I think, you know, obviously ended at 15, as you noted. And a side note, 15 in a row and 19 of the last 20. Again, very solid. Mm. And, and select company. I mean, when you are doing something that only – 10 to 15 teams in the entire country are doing, especially, you know, when you always consider the blue bloods and the five-star recruits and all that stuff. And West Virginia doesn't recruit those five-star recruits because the other part of that story I did, and I'll pull it up and I'll put it on our message board. uh, By the time you listen to this podcast was that of the teams that were on that streak of straight draft picks, West Virginia was either lowest or second lowest on average recruit rankings coming out of high school. Uh, Wisconsin, I remember, was was right there with them. I can't remember. So it, Wisconsin and Oregon State and West Virginia were the three lowest. And so that that's also something that, that's a, indicative, I would think, of a team being able to develop talent and to showcase talent and, or fi- at least find diamonds in the rough. So that was another um, recruitable tidbit. Uh, you know, or tidbit that they would use on recruiting trails uh, for for players. So it, the fact that the streak ends, you know, like, eh, yeah, whatever. But it, man, it kind of stings because it. That's a nice little thing to have in your pocket of, hey, fifteen straight years, still going strong, and and not anymore, not anymore. Let me ask you a question, and I've I've 
written about this before, and I've I even brought it up on Sunday morning in my three things. Mm-hmm. I absolutely understand the need to have recruiting ammunition and to have the social media graphic out there ready and all that. I'm not I'm not numb to that. I'm not dumb. But where is the line? Where's the finish line? The separation point between college and the NFL when it comes to a head coach or a program or even a conference's standing in that I don't necessarily think that, for example, Mac football programs, head coaches exist for the same reason that the SEC does. SEC wants to win championships, national championships, and then that means collecting almost like a minor league feeder program to the NFL on a campus in one of those southern states. The Mac's different. You know, they're not gunning for that. They're trying to educate kids and give them a college experience and all that stuff. And, you know, I understand it's college football and it's at different levels, but I just feel weird treating the Akron coach like the Alabama coach and measuring how many players the Akron coach sends to the NFL or how many players the Mac sends to the NFL versus the SEC. Now, granted, that's power five group of five. That's totally different ends of the spectrum. But even within the power five, you have, for example, Alabama, West Virginia, Georgia, Kansas State. You know, you have those disparities where I'm just not sure those programs and those coaches exist for the same reason. You want to win more than you lose. You want to compete for conference championships and get into that CFP discussion if you're in the power five. I get that. But localized here, Neil Brown's taking some arrows because of player development and how good his program hasn't been. And maybe it's because of developing or recruiting or retaining talent. And then there's an inevitable blurring and blending there. I get that. But I also just don't know that Neil Brown's job is to send players to the NFL. It helps. It makes the ultimate job of winning games easier. But I just wonder how big of a metric that is and then how deep that extends into the Big 12. And it's such a broad, bumbling question by me. But do you, do you necessarily think this is that? It's that black and white. It's that indicative of a coach or a program success that you have to have players go to the NFL if you're going to be good at this? Uh, absolutely not. I think okay. you go back and because so much of it, again, the, the colleges, the college coaches, their role is to win. Their objective is to win. They don't care how they get there. They have different systems. Uh, I'm going to dip back into the uh, Rich Rod days. I mean, those teams were wildly successful and a lot of those top players, uh, I'm thinking specifically on like the offensive and defensive lines, just the schemes that they ran and the way they did things, those guys didn't get, you know, NFL looks really. Um, I mean, West Virginia had a four-year starter, all American, consensus All-American Remington Trophy winner at center, barely got a sniff in the NFL, didn't get drafted. Uh, I'm talking about Mike Compton, you know, didn't get drafted and had to kind of fight through that and, and I think you know was what on a practice squad for a year or two and that was it mm-hmm. his career was over and it, is that a negative on Compton is that a negative on West Virginia's program no <laughs> he's, he's a four years he was a multi-year starter all consensus all-american you know best center in the land and doesn't get drafted obviously there are things that are different about what the NFL is looking for than simply college success um so there are times like that, and you, you roll through West Virginia's, you know, players that have been drafted, and yeah, you see some obviously some very good players: Tavon, Gino, Bruce Irvin, Nick Kwiatkowski, and and so on, and just keep rolling through there. But uh, go through, and I'm talking like the late 2000s era, where it was transitioning from Rich Rodriguez to Bill Stewart. 
Selvish Capers. Now, he's a late seventh-round pick, but when you ask me to think of a lineman from that late 2000s, early 2010s era, Selvish Capers might be like the 10th one I think of, 12th one I think of, but he had the body, the long arms, and the talent or the upside that NFL scouts were looking for, and he was the only lineman the only lineman, let me pull to make sure this is right, to get drafted by West Virginia from 2004 through until what, Kajust? I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, until 2019. So, again, it's, it's, it's a systems thing. It's a scheme thing. And sometimes that just uh, it, it might go with winning. It correlates with winning, but it might not jive with what NFL teams are looking for. It's a nuanced conversation. I've written this before, too, and, and it's, it's not to keep – harping on it but if you look at the states that represent the big 12 there is not a lot of high school football um chris do you think there's more high school football in oklahoma or in iowa uh let's say iowa it is iowa that's surprising um there's more high school football in just texas than there are in the other big 12 states and everybody's in texas and if you're kansas iowa oklahoma west virginia schools in those states drawing it's it's really difficult, and then you can get good college players. That happens, but look at the footprint of the ACC and the SEC. Like the best high school football states are there, and they're they're going to Texas now, and the Pac-12 is trying to get into Texas now. Everybody's in Texas, and like these southern and southeastern states and the the West Coast states where it's warmer all the time, they always do better when it comes to NFL talent, just because they have better high school recruits. Um, it's just harder in the Big 12. And when you look at what happened this year, 25 players in the Big 12. Nobody from the Texas Longhorns. It's incredible. But this, that's what you said the second time in four years that's happened? Yeah, some of the second and four or second and five, something like that, where they have had zero players drafted. It's it's just a strange thing sometimes. And I'll say this, that can't happen in Texas. The resources, the luxuries, pedigree, the tradition, you have to do that. And then I think that is part of the job there. I think at Texas, you are expected to recruit NFL quality players because you are in Texas and you have that prestige. I'm just not sure that it's the same in all the other Big 12 programs or even nationally, too. Um, One quick correction. Sorry. I just went before. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many Longhorns listeners we have, but um, it, eight years, I believe. So it was 2000, 2014, they had zero. And then in 16 and 17, they had one apiece. Mm-hmm. So twice um, in eight years. Still unacceptable for a team like that. This is not piling on, but this is observational here. Let me bounce some transfers off of you since Neil Brown's arrived. Um, Can't count Kenny Robinson, but he did go to the portal. Got drafted. Dariq Pitts, you think he would have been a player? Yeah, I think as far as on-field production goes, like he he was up there. He he had NFL on-field production and talent. Okay. Didn't quite turn out for him. You're looking at guys um, that that don't really have a chance, but, you know, Giovanni Haskins, I think there was some buzz about him for a while. Martel Petaway, who knows? Probably not. Uh, Josh Shills was an undrafted free agent. Yep. Have not seen Tyler Sumter anywhere, but let's, uh, he came in and he didn't go out. Um, trying to think of guys who left as well. It's pretty much that from that class. And then we go to last year. Well, the big one, obviously, Tyke Smith would have been draft eligible, correct? Yep. I think a lot of people think about that one. Uh, Darrell Middleton left, but he also arrived. That would have been a guy. Maybe, maybe he does something. Uh, Jeff Pooler would have been interesting. 
one more year in the scheme, could he have done it? It's not like Northwestern's a bad place for defense. Uh, Drayshawn Miller would have been interesting. Yeah, I think that's one that had a real possibility. Yeah. Um, and then that's pretty much it as far as guys who have left that that could have been drafted um, and maybe made something happen. So there's been some talent that's left, and I think that's that's a knock that a lot of people want to apply to Brown. Is it always his fault? Um, I don't know. Again, you have to retain guys. I get that. But I think what's interesting is if you look ahead a couple of years – from players who left what could happen and we'll talk about like who's on West Virginia's roster that could get into the NFL now but the players who have left just don't know is Cowan going to be a guy TJ Banks going to be a guy Sam Brown is one I would probably watch I've heard nothing but good things about him since relocating um who else John Ryan probably not Jackie Matthews I'd be surprised Keen Messador Probably the big one is where I was getting there, too. Porter, I don't know. He'd have to do really, really well. He seems like a good college player, maybe not an NFL player. But um, it, my point being, it was going to be hard to break this streak because of the the quality of the rosters, and you've seen that on the field. Let's look at the, the current roster now, Chris. Candidates for upcoming drafts next year or two. Um, the obvious one is JT Daniels. Mm-hmm. Who we reported is due on campus the third week of May. So he can get started at ASAP. He'll graduate like on a Saturday and be up here on a Monday. I think that's that's more or less the timeline, but um, that's good news for him and for everybody else. After that, guys who are juniors or above, I guess redshirt sophomores are above, but um, three years out of high school. Who do you think, I guess, in order of arrival to the NFL draft, who do you think has a, a good look at this? And then maybe further down the road, who has a chance to have a chance? I think Dante Stills is number two on the list here. Uh, maybe number one, depending on how you think Daniels will progress this season or how quickly he'll pick things up. Because, uh, I mean, honestly, Mike, here's my, uh, you know, talk radio hot take. Mm. I think uh, we blame Dante Stills for ending the streak. Coming back for his sixth year or his fifth year. Could have been drafted this past season. Just saying. What if he didn't come back last season? I might still be a zero this year, though, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. But yeah, I think he's, I mean, he's, he's got everything you're looking for. You and I discussed this on this podcast a hundred years ago that if he had come out the same year as Darius, his brother, even though Darius had the consensus all American honors and everything else that came with it, that Dante likely still would have been drafted higher again because the NFL values different things than simply college success. And, and Dante hadn't quite done what Darius had done at that point, but Dante had, uh, as far as his physical attributes and his athletic ability, was a little bit higher than Darius, and I think he would have been drafted higher even two years ago. So um, I would certainly consider him a very real possibility to be drafted uh, next spring. From his class, and this is going to kind of encapsulate the uh, the issue here or, or the the discussion, you have uh, Taj Alston, has the size, um, played very well last year, finally got his feet back beneath him, literally, and and played well. If he does it again, that could be a guy who has some numbers and, and has a chance. Lynn J. Dixon is an interesting one because he's kind of had a sputtering career, but for a while was a very explosive player, just 5'10", 188, running back. That's tough to see. Um, from that class, that's about it, that fifth-year senior class. You have a redshirt senior class. Of uh, James Gamitter got a chance to come back next season too. Also has two children and he's married. Perhaps he wants to go pro. We'll see. Charles Woods, cornerback. I think 
people would be not surprised if he has a uh, at least people in the building if he has an all conference caliber season and is is mentioned. And then also from that redshirt senior class, Sam James, very productive once eh, in between. But I love what he did in the spring. I think there's a chance there. But you're talking six foot one seventy five. We'll see. Now you get a little bit further down the road, Chris. Um, this is where it becomes a matter of retention and development. Their redshirt junior class can't give you a name that clicks, you know, prospects, but we'll see. Their junior class is exclusively composed of Zach Frazier. Um, redshirt juniors, you have a Lance Dixon, who's kind of athletic, could do some things. Um, Bryce Ford Wheaton's a big guy, a receiver, but hasn't been terribly productive. Further down, redshirt sophomores, guys who I guess if they got crazy, they could get drafted out of this season. Oh, Sean he Martin. skipped one. Oh. Doug Nestor. Got a chance to come back. We'll see. Red shirt, yeah, we're listed as a redshirt junior, at least on the WVU football website. So Okay. Um, and then from there, they, they just don't know a lot about anybody who's who's younger than they have a chance right now. So they're a young team that's going to have to use some young players. But, like, you're talking redshirt sophomores of, like, the Jordan White, Torres Simmons, Linnell Carr ilk, which may be in time, but not right now. Um, and listen, this could be a, a really good team this year relative to what it's been the past three years. If the quarterback lifts the play, then, hey, they might, I don't know, I don't know if analytics dude is correct, and they're going to get a 10-win season like they told the, the Daniels family, allegedly. But a lot of things have to come from their young class of, of redshirt sophomores, redshirt juniors, whatever. Do you see, I don't know, a couple of people that if we're graying in a couple of years from now, we're talking about, hey, the streak is back at two years in a row because this player, these players from, I don't know, that that underclass group, of the roster they did something and they got themselves drafted well if are we going all the way down to sophomore true sophomores what do you think because that's two of my favorites as far as the young guys go and and that's why milam and Caden pray there uh it's guys that are already making an impact as true freshmen last year that have all the physical and athletic attributes that any coach at any level would would just you know salivate over so those two guys if they continue on their current path and again as you mentioned retain and develop they continue on that current path at west virginia will be nfl draft picks if, if i'm going that young i'm going all the way down to sophomores now we gotta have somebody in between there that can get that but again if you're asking me to pick one from each class like you know next year dante stills year after that you could look at like somebody like doug nestor in that red shirt junior class uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton, similar spot. Then you get into redshirt sophomores. That's an interesting one because you're right. You you mentioned the Jordan White, the Torres Simmons, Linnell Carr. Is it Sean Martin? Like, Same thing. They just, I mean, ton of potential, and it's going to have to happen on the field. And if it does, great. But those, that's that's kind of like where they're at, I think, in, in the stage of their program. They're they're in this embryonic stage where it's time for some of these guys to bust out of the egg and, and start to do some things, which could be fun to watch, too. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking of Martin, again, for, like you said, just pure potential. You look at some of the, those guys in that sophomore class, and yeah, you, you see some talent. They've A couple of those guys have been on the field. But if you talk to an NFL scout and you say, hey, I got to – Six foot five, two hundred and eighty pound defensive end that can also play inside and a little outside, and he's as strong as an ox. You got their attention. Now, you got to be able to produce on the field and make it, you know, happen happen uh, 
between the sidelines, but he, he's got the, the head start, if you will, in that class. Yeah, I'm not being bleak or dark here. I think there are prospects there, and I think that's what's encouraging or exciting or maybe potentially redeeming about this upcoming season. Is I, I mean, a lot of guys you may get to know for not only this season, but next season too, that, that have a real chance to sprout. And again, they they think they've recruited pretty well. Some of the rankings do support that. Um, development has to happen. And I don't know, I think if you look exclusively at the draft in the past couple of years, you say, well, they haven't developed wonderfully. Um, they haven't kept guys in-house too. Well, I mean, why not now, right? Can they do it? it it's just a good time to do it because it, they've spent a lot of time putting their pieces in place and, and something procedural to get guys into a developmental stage where, you know, that 2020 season was rough and Jordan Leslie talked about this too. They have a handful of guys who were either first or second year players in 2020 that you almost had to like kind of press pause on their development. And then when 2021 came back, you almost had to reset a little bit and get them back to like square one where they develop and it just seems like there's a lot of guys who are at the starting line right now, ready to fire off and do something. And if a couple of them hit, they could, they could have a good season. Yeah. Maybe they could draft it as well there too. Uh, speaking of drafts, Chris, you're at work on post spring two deeps, right? Mm-hmm. Offense today. I'm presuming defense is right around the corner. Maybe tomorrow. Uh, I am thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our things, which I'm guessing you're about to mention. Uh, so I don't want to steal your spotlight here, but a lot of the things are tenuously scheduled, potentially on hold, simply because of the deadline that you wrote about over the weekend, the May 1st deadline. But for, for transfers, by the way, that is to get it in before May 1st in order to be eligible for this fall. However, schools have two business days to get that done. So the, the deadline was midnight Sunday night, which means technically word may not be out on all transfers until Tuesday night at midnight. So, yes, tentatively defensive depth chart Tuesday, but we'll see. Once we figure out who is and isn't on the roster, <laughs> we'll come back. You'll have your depth chart for two deep. And then we're going to draft our two deeps. We already went over this, but I'll get pick one or two. You'll get pick one or two, and we'll snake draft, and we'll try to put together the roster. And we'll see, like, again – what type of talent they have, what type of debt they have, and then maybe from there, what needs they still have or suddenly have based on transfers departing, transfer portal possibilities, still have four scholarships left to use. So plenty coming on the website. Check it out. Um, What an April, Chris. Here's to May. It was one of the busiest Aprils ever, one of the busiest months ever, not even just Aprils as far as the site's concerned. I think it was the second biggest month in the site's history, which when you think about the um, cyclical calendar that we face in this business, for that to happen in April is just absurd. Absolutely absurd. And again, well, I'm looking at it right now trying to uh, confirm. Yeah, uh, it, second busiest month ever with the only other month being busier as far as page views are concerned. Would you like to take a guess, Mike? Was it January 19? January 2019. Yep. Yeah, Dana Holgerson out, Neil Brown in, coaching staff, all of that news. And this past month was second only to that. So very busy month, very big month for the site. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming. Thanks, everybody, for supporting. And, and you know, hey, West Virginia is giving us plenty to talk about, and we'll continue to cover it. Tough act to follow, but thank goodness for the CFL draft coming up. <laughs>
Alonzo had died, Deshaun Stevenson, those guys, uh, they, if they don't have professional football opportunities outside the CFL, they can their rights are retained by the, the Red Blacks, correct? Yep. Um, they can just go north of the border and play there, and they were drafted highly last year. I think Stevenson was before a die. Uh, they, were, they were the first and second round picks. I can't remember which order, but they were the first two picks for the Red Blacks. Yep. So they, uh, they have a home with nothing works out here. And then quickly recap here. Uh, Letty Brown, Chargers. Mm-hmm. Sean Mahone, Jaguars. Yep. I like Letty Brown and the Chargers. I kind of like what the Chargers do with their running backs. And who knows who makes it as a UFA, but they throw the ball a lot to their backs. Receiver, good. Um, between the tackle guy, move the move the, move the pile, move the chains. We'll see. He'll, he'll he'll get some action there and practice squad at worst, I would guess. And they're just going to let him go home. But uh, can he make the roster? I don't know. Uh, Mahone, just solid guy. Good for a locker room. He's going to go in and practice hard and play hard. And, Maybe he makes that team. They have a lot of needs on defense. Could fit there too. Uh, anything else stand out to you there as far as transactional stuff? Uh, not on the NFL front. I think you know the Letty Brown one. I I like that Chargers offense. My only concern with it was they already have they drafted two running backs. Yeah. Already had three under contract, so they have five running backs that are twenty. I think Eckler's the oldest at like twenty seven. That's a, that's a tough spot. That's, I mean, not, none of those guys have guaranteed money, really, of, of any significance, So it's except for Eckler, and Eckler's not going anywhere anyway. But um, that is the offense that fits him. So he is truly rolling the dice on that he can beat out these other guys, which, hey, you know, if, if it's the offense that fits you and you feel confident in your abilities to beat out other guys and excel in that offense, more power to you. Yeah, they took uh, Spiller in the fourth round, correct? Somewhere up there, third or fourth, yeah. Was there other guy a running back or a fullback? Oh, was he a fullback? I don't know. You know, they don't they don't uh, on the draft sheet they didn't separate it out as fullback or running back. They just say running back. So uh, yeah, Xander Horvath, fullback, Purdue. I remember the, oh, the name. Okay. I thought he was a fullback, but yeah, again, but they took a high pick. So I mean, again, fourth round guy for a running back is is kind of high, but also. Undrafted is kind of high, too, because that's just the way teams invest in it, especially when they have a guy like they have there at the, the clear number one. They don't really need to, to fill with um, high high round selection. So, again, he'll I think he'll go in and have a chance there. And as uh, long as he doesn't, like, fall down running a 40 or anything and he does what he's supposed to do, they kind of know who he is and what he is, and I'm sure that they targeted him for a reason. So good fit for him. We'll see what happens then. Uh, so, yeah, on to the CFL draft, on to the month of May. Um, and then, boy, June comes and – Gonna be busy, but let's not get that far ahead. See what we can't spin out of the uh, news cycle this month. We'll be back. Future episodes of this podcast. More riveting this one, I promise. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.